Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. Hey, 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 what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Elijah Fire, episode 52. That's what I'm talking about. That's exciting. On our way to 100, let's go. Uh, my guest today, guys, I'm I'm excited. Um, I met him uh, at Krista Elijah's Tent Revival. We met in person. And I think a bromance started. Uh, <laughs> so it's awesome. Uh, he is the co-laborer with Krista Elisha. He is Krista Elisha's husband, David. David Schramm, the Pastors of Arise Kingdom Ministries, the Speak Life Initiative, and also the Revival Room. So let's welcome my guest today, David Schramm. Hey. My dude. Hey. Roman. Dude, <laughs> totally bromance. Yeah, totally. I, I, unashamedly, I think. You yeah, know, no shame. Was, yeah, no shame. You know, so no shame attached. Was, yeah, no shame, none at all. Yeah, it was great meeting you here in Salem, Kaiser was, area. Yeah, dude, it was like such an honor to get to hang out with you guys and get to meet yeah. you. I know we've met like a billion times online, but yeah, like it's man, it was like so awesome to get to see like you guys in person and then also get to like see your town and like yeah. experience the Pacific Northwest, which I yeah. had to that point, except for very briefly. Yeah, um, yeah, and you guys went all over the place. You went to the coast. You went to Multnomah Falls. All we that did. Cool stuff. Yeah, there's so I much had, more. Like to I, said, I, I had been there once before, but it was in Seattle, and it was only for a concert, and I was only there for a few days, and then we oh, didn't yeah. like do much exploring as far as like driving anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like we drove from Seattle to Portland once just to see a show, and it was all concerts, and there was no like, oh, we're gonna like go explore the countryside. None of that. Yeah. That was, was back literally... when like Portland was actually like fun to go to. <laughs> yeah, that was back when Portland was like the like episode. It didn't look like, like Mad Max. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, okay. So last time you were on the show, we talked a lot about your uh your testimony. Yeah. Um, it was really great. You can kind of intro that. There's actually more to it though, you mm-hmm. were telling me. And so we're gonna kind of talk about that, and that's gonna open up another important conversation. So um Everybody, we're going to link in the description the original interview we did a couple of months back, however long ago it was. Uh, so you can kind of, if you haven't seen it, you can kind of catch up on all of that other stuff. But go ahead and take it away, man. You kind of know what you didn't share. Yeah. So go for it. Yeah. So um, actually, first thing I want to say is uh, Revival Room still does exist. It's a facility. But now we actually, um, as of last, this past Saturday, we launched our actual church called Lit Fellowship. Um, had our first service on the 26th and it was awesome. Super excited to be working with uh, Pastor Chris and Amanda. They, mm. They're we're like the Krista and I are like the overseeing pastors of Arise Kingdom Ministries, but our, our sub ministries kind of have different leadership structures. And um, we always had the space in our hometown, but we never um, never felt really graced to use it in a way that was like a weekly service. And it was a big demand for people locally that were attending our monthly services. So. Um, Long story short, Chris and Amanda, they were in transition themselves and they said, hey, let's uh, let's connect. You know, we'd love to like, you know, oversee what's going on at, at Arise. And now here's Lit Fellowship. It's Dude, a, it's a real is deal it going to be do you guys have set set times that you guys congregate? Yeah. So um, we, it was always Saturdays. Um, we're going to stick with every Saturday for now. Um, we're going to try to like do it Sabbath style, you know, yes. kind of Saturday meeting. Um mm-hmm. That way, if people are kind of like not wanting to transition out of their church, but they still want to attend a, a, a group of people that are activating in the spirit and stuff like that, keeping the, the spirit of revival rooms alive, but but doing it every single week. 
That's cool. And then what time is what time do you guys six meet? O'clock, six p.m. Eastern. Six time. p.m. Eastern time every Saturday. Every Saturday. So whenever the Lord says tells us we need to leave. And the address, the link to that information is in the description. People, we're putting it there. Yeah, so. come. It's in, it's in Oxford, Ohio. Nice. 14 West Park Place, Oxford, Ohio. Come up Saturday. There it, it is. It, Represent. It yeah. Um, that's awesome okay so let's uh do you have any other announcements you want to make before we no uh, no okay no. yeah well take it away man uh i mean obviously you can kind of give people a, a kind of a, a refresher on yeah. kind of you know your life before the lord and you can yeah. go into whatever you want to go into okay um so i know on the last show i kind of briefly touched on the history of both krista and myself being uh recovering addicts um and that, you know, it was early in our marriage and uh, she had gotten saved and I wasn't saved. And that, you know, she kind of was like one of the catalysts for um, my salvation was, you know, the the response she gave me when she saw me for the first time in four months. Um, so I think that was like the the abridged version of what I told last time. Um, so I was speaking to a mutual friend of ours, Jim, and he uh he had said that next time you do the show, you need to really go in depth with your testimony and talk about your recovery. And I'm going to tell you what I told him, the story I told him. Tell you guys the story I told yeah. him. So, let's see, we'll, we'll go back to June of 2012. Krista and I got married and we were both in active addiction and we were living in this tiny apartment in our hometown of Oxford. And just off the rails bad you know mm. unfortunately our children were in a really horrible situation um so all this happens and we end up homeless we get evicted from our apartment because we're not paying rent obviously drugs are taking top priority in our financial stuff mm-hmm. um so we end up homeless and actually in my aunt's backyard in a tent wow. um so we're living with the kids in a tent in the backyard. Actually, well, I take that back. The kids were allowed to sleep in the house, but we weren't because we weren't, we just weren't trusted. Mm. Um, were you guys locked out of the house too at night? Or I mean, she, sometimes she would. I mean, it's just kind of dependent on how high she thought we were. You know yeah. what I mean? If she, if, she, if she saw us up at all hours of the night, you know, if we were on some kind of speed or something like that, she would, she locked the doors. But mm. um, every, our, our son was just a little guy at that time. So we couldn't really like, have the doors locked all the time. Um, my aunt was gracious enough to allow my children to have a bedroom, mm. which thank God for that. They didn't have yeah. to actually sleep in the tent. Yeah. Uh, Cause they were victims sure. of my, I mean, specifically our drug abuse. Um, yeah. Anyway. So fast forward to uh, no, October, November of 2012. And um, we, I had gotten a job and I had managed to like hold myself together long enough to get some money saved up to get, you know, I had a job that really wasn't all that consequential. Um, and we got an apartment and we moved into this apartment out of my aunt's tent backyard situation. Yeah. And um, so we're living in this apartment and around that time, uh, Krista gets, she gets clean. That's when she starts to have her, her spiritual awakening as they say mm-hmm. in recovery or that, that, that moment of clarity where she, she knows that things need to change. So she actually gets clean in November of 2012. So for November, December, January, February, March. So for about four or five months, we were living in this crazy space where she was like getting clean, getting delivered, like going to church, developing a relationship with the Lord. And I was a full blown junkie. 
mm. in the middle of this. And I'm and I mean raging junkie. I was I was doing crack cocaine. I was doing meth. I was doing heroin. I was doing anything I get my hands on. Mm. Um, so I made life for her extremely miserable. Yeah. You know, she didn't know from day in day out if I was going to be OD'd in the house. She was afraid to leave the kids with me. I mean, it was a mess. Mm. Um, by God's grace, nothing bad ever happened to her or the kids at, at my hands in that time period. I mean, other than like money and stuff, but no physical harm ever came yeah. to them. Um, so around March of that year, she she had a sponsor in the recovery program she was in. And the sponsor was like, when is enough going to be enough? You need to leave him. And she didn't want to divorce me, but she didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So one one Saturday in March, she comes home with her sponsor and she's like, look, I- I'm leaving. I'm done. Like, you're going to have to deal with this on your own. Um, she had went to go live with her parents and left me at this apartment. And uh, that first Saturday she had left, it was like noon, I remember. And I went and I got dope. And I did the biggest shot I had done in a long time. And I'm pretty sure I came like that close to dying. Um, I actually woke up the following Sunday. Or I woke up on Sunday the next day at like 11 o'clock, passed out in a chair. My lips were blue. I was pale, sweaty. It was bad. Oh, man. Um, and that day launched into a three and a half month bender of the craziest most sinful insanity i've ever been a part of wow um within a week of her moving out i had moved in two dope dealers um and then we're letting them use my apartment to to trap out of or to sell they call it trapping but it's to sell dope out of let people come in and out so literally 24 hours a day seven days a week there was a drug dealer on at my house um mm. i let prostitutes crash at my house i let anybody who would who would use with me crash at my house um i quit my job i let the eviction process start which in the state of ohio gives you about four months of having not having to pay rent before the sheriff comes and actually like removes you from the building um and you knew that obviously you were like that's four months of not having to pay rent yeah Yeah. i took full advantage of of that you know i knew when they evicted me it was like oh i don't have to do anything for four months and i got a place to live and a place to continue to make money out of and all that stuff yeah um so in that whole time, I didn't speak to Krista at all. So she had no idea what was going on with me. Man. She was living with her parents. We were, we were separated um, by a distance of about 50 miles. You know, her parents lived about 45 minutes to an hour away from where I was staying at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so all this stuff is going down and like more and more time is passing. And I'm, I'm getting to a point in my life where I'm using beyond my own desire to get high. Um, I was, it was out of survival and necessity at that point. I was so spiritually broken. I had just completely given in. Um, and man, it was, it was so heavy. Like the time Mm. period was so heavy because I was so broken Mm -hmm. and all I was trying to do was like numb out all the stuff from my past, all the stuff from, you know, our potential divorce. You know, I'm just literally trying. You certainly want to think about it. No, I just wanted, I was, how did, uh, there's a, a famous, Kurt Cobain quote, he said, he said that he used to seek oblivion mm. when he was mm. getting high. And that's mm. what I was doing. I mm. was, I was seeking oblivion. Yeah. Um, was it, was there a part of you that was like, if I, if I do this, it'll all go away. Or was it all like, you didn't even want to even process any of it. Cause you were like, I, this is all going to be bad and I just can't handle it. 
Like, what was that? Do you remember what that was? What was yeah. That? Um, well, b- before I had this was actually this this big using period was actually after a period of I had actually had some clean time and I had been clean for like two years back in 2008 mm-hmm. um, when I, I went through uh, a what they call it uh, in, in Ohio they call it um, intervention in lieu of conviction where if you get caught with drugs they'll send you to rehab instead of sending you to prison. Um, so I went through this program and I had gotten some, a period of clean time forced, which it wasn't by choice. Um, so I, I knew kind of what it was like to be sober. And then I went back out using and no, having all this recovery stuff in my head at that time, it was, it was more about ignorance. Like I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to deal with the things I just didn't want to. Yeah. I, I, I knew that when I quit using, that was when I would have to face reality. And the longer I could prolong having to face reality, the the easier it was for, for me at that time. So, and then the drugs are playing this thing in my head. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's chemical, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've never known in my life. sober need like that, like physical need. Like when, when you're stuck on an opiate, it, it is like needing to breathe. It's like needing to eat. Mm-hmm. And it's even stronger than that. You know, I've, um, I, the, the science part of it is that, so I'm paraphrasing here, but so the level that of dopamine and serotonin that gets released and oxytocin that gets released in your brain, it, it's all a, a tied to certain activities. So eating releases a certain amount. Um, mm. the, the highest paramount human experience is, is sexuality in a natural way. So sexual release releases the most endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin in a human being right? That's the highest natural level we can achieve. Heroin releases 400 times that man, in your brain at once on your brainstem. Yeah. So it is this like crazy euphoric, like it becomes your friend. You feel like you need it. Like literally I would, I I used to compare it to like um, a jealous girlfriend. Wow. Like it it, it like took over my life. Wow. Um, Man. Yeah. Now, is it true that because I've heard from from ex heroin addicts that heroin almost becomes oh maybe this is meth actually where it's like it becomes addictive like the second you the second you that first time you take it you know it's like the heroin feeling that you like, get yeah I mean so heroin takes three days to get to you for you to become physically addicted mm. so if you use it three consecutive days in a row you will go into withdrawal man um, and severe withdrawal at that. Um, but as far as the mental part, if, if, if it's for you, it's instantaneous. Like the minute I used heroin for the first time, I was hooked. I mean, literally my mind, it was like, this is what I've been looking for. All that love and affirmation and all that stuff that, that false, that dopamine, it just comes rushing into your brain. And as a dopamine starved child, you know, coming from an abused home, coming from, you know, not the best social standing situation life, all that, like love and acceptance and comfort just came rushing onto my brain. And it's Mm. so false. So a question I have is if, if you're feeling that from the drugs, how does that affect your relationships? Like, is it, does maybe it's different from person to person, but is it one of those things where, is that one of the reasons why people start pushing people away? Cause they're like, this is all I need. And then you're, you're not, you you don't hold You don't really love me. You don't really, cause I've, I have friends and loved ones who've been or are currently abusing drugs. Mm. And that is exactly what happens where it's like, so I don't know if that's, it's like an instantaneous thing 
gradual thing from a person i would, to say, person. It's, I would say it's gradual yeah um it's 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 the the deeper that you tread into the waters of of addiction the more it begins to replace things in your life mm-hmm. and i know from a, even from a clinical standpoint that um the the neural receptors in your brain actually get rewired to where the things that used to matter it's literally short circuits heroin short circuit or any kind of any addictive drug like that depends on the person for what the thing is because so sure. i mean the effects the physical effects may not be the same but the spiritual and the mental effects are the same no matter what mm. drug you're doing yeah. if you are addicted you are addicted it doesn't matter if it's cocaine mm. meth opiates apparently doesn't matter yeah um so what it does is it literally says like, okay, this relationship used to make me happy. Well, I can feel happier if I do heroin. So we're going to mm-hmm. cut off that neural pathway and we're going to wire heroin to that part mm-hmm. and then to that part and then to that part. And then what happens mm-hmm. is eventually the only thing that brings you any joy in life is the, the your drug of choice. Yeah. Wow. So you'll sac- yeah. you, you people say, I kill my mama, this, that, and the other. And it's true. I mean, people wow. will do crazy. I did crazy things for drugs. Yeah. I mean, I remember yeah. there was a point in time Right, right around the end of my using, I was so desperate and so sick that in the middle of broad daylight on a busy street, I literally like kicked in someone's front door and stole their TV. Wow! Like saw it through the window, said, "There it is. I'm gonna get that, and I'll get." Money and there's no hesitation. Like you weren't Nothing. like, "I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't." It was just like, "Yeah, that's what you do." Because I, mean, I was sick. I was, yeah. I was, I was physically withdrawing, and I was like, "I, I need to get high. I need to get well." And that terminology. Yeah. And, and so you're gonna sell the TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, so my the the guy that I bought drugs from would accept cash and gift cards and other things too, like in in return for drugs. Wow! So I didn't wow. have to go to a pawn shop to sell it. I literally just took it to my dope dealer's house and said, "Hey, I have a TV. What do you give me for it?" Wow! And he would it. Yeah. So. Man. Yeah, so that crazy. was okay. So you, I, I'm just trying to follow the timeline. So in June of 2012, you and Krista got married. Yeah. November of 2012, Krista gets clean, and then in. March of 2013, her sponsor and her come to your place and they well, say at, at your place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and then that you said it was like, what, like four months of just going on a bender. Is that what you said? Yeah. From that point. Mm-hmm. So what changed? Cause obviously I would think like, okay, you did dope or, you know, whatever it was. And you woke up the next day, your lips were blue. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know especially coming that close to death that doesn't sound like that was rock bottom for you it wasn't and for a lot of addicts that's what it most i guess i don't know you can speak to this more than i can that's what it takes right yeah for a lot of people it does but for some people it doesn't Mm. um everybody's bottom is different i think that bottom is is not necessarily a destination that's like well defined um it's when you you reach the end of the point where you're you're willing to say like, I for me, I was using beyond my, even my own desire to continue to use. It was just such a need. And it had become such ingrained in me that I just, even when I didn't want to, I still did it. Mm. Um, I just couldn't fight the temptation. And then, yeah. so, so she left and then all this crazy stuff starts going on at my house. Well, right around the end of May, beginning of June, I started to get really discontent. I knew I was going to be losing the apartment really soon. I was facing actual homelessness again for the third time in my life. Um, And I remember specifically there was this one night and this was actually the night before her and I reconnected, which is crazy. Thank God for his grace and his mercy. 
coming after me in the worst place in my life because this experience is what triggered the whole reason for me to get clean. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash donate. So I'm, it's about two in the morning. I'm walking down a main, a main road in the area I was living in and I was looking for cigarette butts, right? It had, it's because I didn't, couldn't afford cigarettes and I smoked. So I was taking butts out of ashtrays and re-rolling uh-huh. cigarettes. Yeah. Um, so I, I had gotten so sick of being at my house because I had completely lost control of my home. It had been taken over by fellow users and, and dealers. And I couldn't get a moment of peace. I couldn't get a moment of anything in my own home. So I was just so sick, burnt out, and just sick of it all. Um, I, I took off walking in the middle of the night, going to get cigarette butts. And I remember I went to this bowling alley and then right by this bowling alley, there was like a, like a culvert pipe. You know what I mean? Like a little water, there was a stream there and there was a culvert that passed under the road. Um, I didn't want to go home back to my apartment. So I decided that I was just going to sit on this pipe and chill for a little bit. So I'm sitting there and it's just like, it sounds so poetic, but it's like this big full moon out. And I remember sitting down on this, this culvert and taking my book bag off. And I specifically remember looking up at the sky. I mean, I remind you at this time, I barely believed in God. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a kind of a concept of, I would say I was, uh, I don't know, agnostic. But um, I was sitting on this pipe and I remember like looking up at the sky or and saying to myself to whatever was there, like either you're going to do something about this or like I'm going to do something about this. Mm. I was done. I was like so done. Like mm. that night was like the night that broke the camel's back. I was like so sick of living in chaos, missing my wife, missing my kids, um, totally facing, you know, homelessness and eviction. And, and literally I was the place that I was going to after I got kicked out of my apartment was an apartment building that had been abandoned because it caught on fire. That was where I was like planning to go to after, after I got evicted. Um, so that night, that was actually a crazy thing too. That was then, uh, I think one night before the eviction was going to happen at 7 a.m. the following day. So, you know, 24 hours before, well, 24, so two in the morning, so 25, 29 hours before I was getting evicted from my apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I have that moment, sit there for a little bit, kind of reflecting on everything. I go back to my apartment and I just sat down on the floor and I laid there and this kind of was really depressed and I mean, so emotionally tangled up. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't even think I cried. I just mm-hmm. sat there like just lost. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so the following 24 hours later, 7 a.m. comes, here comes the sheriff. They're knocking on the door. Everybody's got to vacate the premises. So the lady who owned the, ran the apartment complex, not owned it, managed it. She actually, she shouldn't have done this, but it was all God involved in the situation. She had ended up calling Krista because she knew the situation and said, hey, I know what happened between you and your husband. I know what he's been doing. I haven't called the police on him because I don't want him to go to prison or whatever. But, and I shouldn't be calling you, but he's getting evicted today. And, you know, her, she had taken only things she could carry. So the baby pictures were still at the house. The, a lot of the kids stuff was still at the apartment. Um, a lot of her personal belongings were still there. Some of her clothes um, were just, just important things, you know. And the woman who managed the apartment complex, God bless her, called her and said, I can give you 24 hours to come and get this stuff. But I'm going to set it out back and I won't let anybody touch it. So Krista came rushing down from her parents' house 
Now, mind you, I'm already kicked out. I, I, I'm not supposed to be around her. I'm not supposed to be on the property. Well, I had I had went into the woods after we got kicked out, and the apartment building I was going to stay in was just like through the wooded area from the one I was living in. Um, so I was over there, and I had put my stuff in this abandoned house, which is crazy. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was just walking through the woods, and I heard Krista's car because she had a very distinct car at the time. It was a piece of crap. <laughs> but it was it was super loud, right? And I knew the sound of that car. So I um I heard the car coming through the neighborhood. And I was like, that's Krista's car. I know that's Krista's car. So I started walking towards the property I wasn't supposed to be on, and I, I poked my head through the woods and I see Krista. And she doesn't have the kids with her, but it's just her. And she's going through these boxes that were all sitting out with the manager of this apartment complex. And I think the man, Krista had her back to me and the manager saw me out of her peripheral vision in the woods. And she come walking over to the edge of the woods and she's like, do you want to talk to her? And I was like, I'd really like to talk to her, but I'm afraid to talk to her. She said, look, I'm, I can't have you on the property. You've been evicted, but tell me where you want me to tell her to go. And I'll ask her if she wants to come and meet you. And so I said, there's an apartment across the street from this one. That's not on your property. I'll be over there in that parking lot if she wants to come talk to me. So I, I walked over to the parking lot and I'm sitting there on this kind of on a, uh, what do you call them? The, the parking divider. Yeah. And I, I'm uh, sitting there waiting for her and she pulls up. Now I'm expecting like fury, right? I'm expecting like punch in the face, yell at me. Mm-hmm. You got what you deserved. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or, you know, for her to be like you piece of crap, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the Lord had been working on her a lot through this season, especially being living with her mom. Um, and she pulls up and I'm just waiting for it. Like, here it is. So I stand up and I look at her and I mind you at this time, like I weigh two. Now I weigh two fifty. at that point, And I'm five foot 11 at that time. I was still five foot 11, but I weighed 172. Wow. So like, you were I like, you were a rail. Yeah. Rail. I mean, I was tiny. Yeah. Uh, for my size, I was tiny because I'm not a small guy, and it, I was, I was just rail thin. You know, sores on my face, track marks on my arms. You know, from shooting up. Um, I even gotten so bad, I had a track mark on my neck and my jugular because I couldn't find the vein, so I was shooting up in my jugular vein. Um, mm. and she walks up to me, and at first they can see it in her eyes. She's like angry, and then suddenly, like she, her eyes welled up with tears. And I'm like, not expecting this. And she like looks at me and she says, what are you doing to yourself? And she hugged me and she held me. And I like just broke down weeping. Oh man. Cause I was just so like done. I was so done. Um, so I'm just weeping, weeping, bawling my eyes out. And I'm just like, I just want to get clean. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't live like this. Like, didn't know God at that point in time, but God was totally working in all this. Jesus was like right there every single step. And funny thing is later on, about a year after this happened, I, I was in rehab and I was having like an angry moment with God. And I was like, where were you in the middle of all this? And I had a vision of Jesus literally by my side through every single step in this process. Like I had a vision of Jesus in the bathroom with me when I was using, I had a vision of Jesus sleeping with me on the floor at the apartment. I had, I had visions of Jesus, like literally right next to me the entire time. Mm. Um, 
and that totally that wrecked me too. I was like right. crying because I'm like, you were there, you were there. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention. Oh my goodness. Um, dude. And, uh, so she hugged me, and I said, I'm I'm ready to get clean. So there's a trick that a lot of addicts use, which is if if you go to a, a psych ward and you say you're suicidal, they have to hold you for 72 hours, like against your will. So even when you're feeling like crap, they have to hold you because you said you were suicidal. Um, so I went to a psych ward trying to just get some, some time under my belt, just get some distance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I go there and I do my three days and I came out and I, I used again after the, even that three days, uh, I just couldn't take it. I was just so sick. I was so desperate, still so broken and, but ready. And at that point, especially that last time that I used was completely against my own will. Like. I didn't want to use, but I all my brain wanted to use. Do you yeah, know it's like I your think? body is just like so accustomed to it. Yeah. yeah. Like I didn't want to, like my, emotionally, I didn't want to spiritually. I didn't want to, but mentally I, I was like just in such chaos and turmoil. I just couldn't mm-hmm. do it. It was just hounding me, hounding me mm-hmm. like crazy. Cause withdrawal is awful from heroin. Um, you're, you get restless leg syndrome. You can't sleep. You can't eat. You got diarrhea, you're throwing up. And then the whole time your brain, the whole time in your brain, you know, if I just do this one thing, I won't feel like this. Mm. And it'll go away instantaneously. I'll feel completely normal. I'll feel happy. I'll feel euphoric. You know, if I just do this one little thing, Mm -hmm. but that one little thing is the one little thing that's killing me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I get out of this psych ward. I got four days clean, three days clean. I use no days clean, but I had, I had, went home to actually I had not went home. I had actually went to my grandmother's house. Um, I begged my grandmother and my aunt, please just let me stay there. I don't want to, I can't go to this apartment. I, it's a, it's gone. The apartment's gone. I don't want to live in this abandoned apartment building. I want to get clean. I want to get help. And they had heard this from me a hundred times. So they didn't buy it, but this time was serious. Um, I went there and I started looking into rehab facilities and I had tried a bunch of other rehab facilities at this point. I had been to a bunch of secular ones. Um, you know, I think at that point I had been in and out like 12 times, I mm. think. Like I'd get like three days or 10 days or whatever, and I'd just leave. Uh, or I wouldn't even show up for the intake appointment. I'd show up for like, and I'd be there for a few hours. You know, I'd, I'd run away just because people told me I had to go to rehab, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't do this, if you don't go to rehab, we're going to take this. And that was when I still had consequences and still had things to lose in my life. Um, but at this point, I had I didn't have anything. So I I find this uh, uh, link to a local here in Cincinnati called City Gospel Mission. And it was a Christian rehab and it was free. And I didn't have health insurance. So I'm like, that's the one for me. He's <laughs> a good word. In that word. Yeah. <laughs> I had health insurance and stuff. And it yeah. was like tens of thousands of dollars to go to these rehabs that I was there for like 72 yeah. hours. Such a waste of money. Um, but I, I, I call them and they say um, in order. So I call them and they say, we do intake on this day and this day show up and we'll assess you. So I asked my mom to take me she said yes but then krista had called to check on me with my aunt not knowing that i was there and i answered the phone and i'm like hey and she's like how you doing i said i'm trying to go to this assessment or whatever Mm. so she takes me to it and because i they wouldn't take me in that day because i didn't have seven full days clean they said in order for you to come into this facility you have to you have to pee clean like your urine screen has to be clear and you have to have seven days clean 
So I'm like, so like distraught by that. Like, Oh my God, this, I'm trying to get clean. I can't, I can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And Krista said, well, let me call my mom and see yeah. if she'll let you stay with us for, cause at that point, at that point in time, I had three days clean. So I needed, I needed four more to be able to get to pass their drug test. And, uh, this is the craziest thing ever. So this is before Siri even existed. Krista picks up, she's, I'm going to call my mom and she picks up her iPhone and it's already dialing her mom. Wow. Supernatural. Cause this is before Siri was even a thing. Yeah. And I don't know wow. if it, I'm not going to call it a coincidence. It was totally supernatural. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. No. And her mom, by the grace of God, her wonderful mother said, yes, you know, that's, I want you to come stay here. And then the following day, I, I go to this deliverance service, all pale and dope sick. Mm. And I'm all jacked up. And this dude stands in the front row of this church. And he's like, he looks me dead in my eyes. And he's like, do you want to be free? And I'm like, he doesn't even know me. Right. Like, I, I don't know if he just read my, read me or if he knew me by the spirit. He knew, yeah, dude, he knew. <laughs> oh, he knew. And he, he literally was like, do you want to be free? And I was like, I do. I do want to be free. So they start laying hands on me. I didn't like convulse or crazy that deliverance doesn't always have to look crazy right yeah. but i went through deliverance that day uh, sometimes it's just crying sometimes you burp sometimes yeah you're... yeah sometimes you're yeah. like a little flatulence sometimes yeah yeah it just depends on the person um yeah. and i was so sick at that point in time and i think any physical manifestations i had may have been like masked by the fact that i was withdrawing from heroin mm-hmm. um because i was sweating and you know pale oh, all, all covered but anyway so I come home that night after the service and my wife's mom looks at me in my face and she's like, I haven't seen you look this good in a long time. Mm. And she hugged me and she's like, we love you. And two days later I went to rehab and I never looked back. Come on now. And here I am. Yeah, that's what I'm uh, talking about. June. So June 6th is my clean date of 2013. Um, I, I had some slips along the road early on after I got saved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I've slipped up a couple of times, but by God's grace, I've never fully went back out to getting yeah. high or you, I, and I haven't used heroin since June of 2013. Wow. Um, I've had minor slips, but yeah, I've heard that the, the recovery of heroin is, is pretty rough going. Um, it is. my, a friend of mine, man, it, this is like, this has not happened for everybody, but a friend of mine, her mom was a heroin addict. She came to the Lord and he took it away like that. She That's never. Awesome. Yeah. So that happens sometimes. It's interesting how it doesn't happen. Why that happens sometimes and not other times, you know, but for her, I, I, yeah, it was an instantaneous. Know. She had no Some, desire. My desire to use heroin and stop using heroin was instantaneous. When I got when I got delivered from heroin addiction, I never did heroin again. Mm. Haven't been tempted to do heroin since then. Wow. Um, my my slip ups were um, at times when I would say I had allowed my vigilance to go down and I was really vulnerable. Yeah. Um, there was a period of time when I think we went over this last time when when in our household there was a lot of contention between like the women preacher thing and Krista was charismatic and I wasn't charismatic and all that stuff. It was in that period of time that mm. it started. Yeah. Um, and then, so that was one time it happened. And then the other, only other time it happened was I was in extreme physical pain. And I, I started taking an herbal thing called, they call it, it's called Kratom. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I had taken Kratom and I got pretty stuck on Kratom for a little bit. 
Mm. And by God's grace, I'm not on Kratom yeah. anymore. I'm not. And the, tell people what Kratom is, because like especially so, here in Oregon, you see it everywhere. Yeah. So so Kratom is touted as some kind of miracle herb, but really what it is is um it, it kind of acts on the brain similarly to a withdrawal drug like a Suboxone or a Methadone. Um, it is actually considered a partial opioid agonist, which means mm. it acts on the opioid center of the brain, um, but it's not actually an opiate. But it, it, its chemical compounds actually affect the opiate center of the brain, so it gives you like a euphoric opiate kind of high. Mm. Um, but it also works as a really good pain reliever, and and honestly, it is a great herbal alternative to someone who is in long term opiate pain management. Mm. You know, um, if if you have to be on medication for pain or for cancer or something like that. It, it really is a good alternative, just like medical marijuana is, you know, for someone yeah. who's struggling with with an actual illness, mm-hmm. you know, not any even even long term chronic pain, like a massive injury or something like that. It's it's actually it can be good in that way. I have a bad knee injury that I've had for years and I was in a lot of pain. I was really overweight at the time, a lot more than I am now. Um, and I had just in a moment of weakness and vulnerability, a friend of mine turned me on to it. And I started taking it and it just, it hit all those, checked all those boxes for yeah. me. I wasn't in a good place spiritually at the time. And mm. I, I, mm. I consider that a relapse. Most people yeah. wouldn't consider that a relapse, but I consider yeah. that a relapse because I, I, I allowed myself to become dependent on something. Again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, okay. So, and you've mentioned opiates a little bit in our notes, you wanted to talk a little bit about the opiate yeah. epidemic that we're I experiencing. Do. I, you know, go ahead and just explain to people who might be like, uh, remind me what opiates are. Okay. Uh, tell people what opiates are. Okay. So um, opiates are um, a class of medication or drug that is formed out of the, um, the uh, oh my gosh, what is it? Morphine plant, which comes from the opiate or from the uh, poppy. There's the poppy okay. plant specifically, the opium poppy, that there's a drug base called morphine. Morphine comes from that flower and they, they synthesize it in all these different I didn't ways. I know to, that. Well, wow, that's good. Yeah. It's from the opium poppy. Mm. Um, it's actually the dew of the opium poppy's bulb that they cut it open. And when it bleeds, that's morphine. Wow. Okay. Um, and then they cook it and they boil. There's all kinds of different ways to make it, but that makes heroin. That makes, you know, all your, your uh, opiate pain medications, which is like your, your Vicodin, oxycodone, hydrocodone, um, uh, street names like Oxycontin, um, Oxymorphone, which is Dilaudid, uh, all these different pain medications that, so God created these plants and he created them for us to use in a way, a time, I do believe this wholeheartedly, but like everything in nature, we found a way to corrupt it as humans. Mm-hmm. So something that was good, because God created all plants on the earth and called them good, right? Mm-hmm. They all had a fitting use. I don't know what God's intention was with the opium poppy. Maybe it was for pain relief. Maybe it was for, I don't know, but it's a good plan. It's we sinful humanity take something that God called good and make it bad Mm -hmm. and make all kinds of horrible things out of it. Um, So that's what an opiate is. An opiate is a a pain relieving, considered a pain relieving drug. Yeah. So we've seen uh, a lot of, there's a pretty big rise in opiate addiction. And sometimes that can be, you got in a car accident, they gave you pain meds so that you, your knee wouldn't be killing you. And then boom, you're hooked. What's that? 
that's how it started for me. Yeah, see, that was your introduction to drugs at large was yeah. opiate. Mm-hmm. At oh. 14, 13, yeah, actually, 13 yeah. years old. And honestly, there's probably some people that are in that same boat mm. that are because it's not it's an it's an addiction that's like not you know it can be your normal person right yeah oh yeah. yeah yeah addiction doesn't discriminate mm-hmm. you know um the idea that there's like a, a class of people like some hierarchy in addiction doesn't exist mm-hmm. it doesn't matter it doesn't care what how much money you have it doesn't care what you drive it doesn't care what you do it doesn't care what color your skin is doesn't care what your ethnic background is mm-hmm. Um, addiction can literally affect anyone in any way at any time. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash donate and become a partner today. Um, specifically with the injury thing, thank God that through some lawsuits and some other things that the the prescribing of opiates has gone way, way down. Oh, good. Um in this country specifically they've created tighter laws to getting them tighter laws to you know um to to prescribing even you know prosecuting doctors that have overprescribed opiates and things like that um but there was a time in this and well even now like with the the fentanyl thing fentanyl is basically synthetic heroin oh okay and it's even stronger but it's made from it it's all chemical there's nothing natural about it it's that's why it's so potent and that's why it's so deadly you know you can only get such a threshold with heroin and this goes like beyond it um and it's made in a lab in in mexico you know mm-hmm. there's no plants involved there's no none of that involved it's literally all chemicals wow um so one of the reasons why i wanted to touch on it cuz i know specifically this show is geared towards millennials yeah and the millennial group was actually the first group of the generations that we, we were the catalyst for the opiate epidemic, hmm. people that are considered millennial age. Um, and it's well, millennial, maybe, maybe late Gen X millennial is kind of that, that people that right now that are in their thirties to forties were like the hmm. first group of people to suffer the effects of like the, the opiate epidemic hmm. because in the early two thousands, pharmaceutical companies were basically telling doctors that these things were not habit forming that these things were totally safe for your patients for pain management. And they were giving them out like candy. They were giving yeah. them out like ibuprofen. There was a point in time in this country where you could get a prescription for Oxycontin for saying your back hurt. Really? Yes. I, wow. I did it. I physically did it. Wow. Literally, it's mind blowing. And the doctor yeah. said, well, we didn't know, but there's all kinds of things now. Like I know recently um, Pfizer got sued for a whole lot of money and because of Oxycontin. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the manufacturers of these drugs got sued for, I mean, it's not going to affect their day-to-day operation, but yet, yeah, <laughs> by God's grace, it will I take it down. Yeah. Seriously. Cause these doctors were being fed, you know, they, they were being courted and, you know, wooed by these pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. in the late nineties and early two thousands, heralding these drugs as like miracle drugs. Oh, you've got pain in your life. Well, here take this pill and everything will be fine. Oh, it's not habit forming. There's no side effects. You'll be fine. And then fast forward to the, you know, the odd the, out of the aughts into the tens. And you've got an entire generation of people who are hooked on pain medicine. Suddenly they realize it's an issue. They take everybody off their prescriptions. Where do they go? Hmm. They go to the street. 
they start mm. chasing down heroin it's cheaper high man yeah take less and, pills dude yeah and i have a loved one who was affected by that as well and oh. i mean not going on the street thank the lord but it was a sports injury yeah. around our age too sports mm. injury and then it was just like bone on bone so much pain and it's just yeah. like I nothing but like sympathy for this guy like it it was it's such a had to have been such a horrible thing to go through and then realizing the shame that comes in as a believer the thing yeah. that like the shame that comes from realizing i'm addicted yeah i'm an addict you know yeah. um man my heart really went out to him and thank praise the lord he's clean now which is yeah, amazing awesome. um you know uh and yeah we had a lot of people were praying for him but um yeah so uh, yeah man <laughs> it's just, it's just, i just dropped the whole thing in the middle of the room so yeah um i'll, I'll say the, like i said i wanted to talk about it because it is such a prevalent issue in our mm -hmm. day specifically yeah. with our generation and even the thank god a lot of the zennials the younger generation my daughter's age 18 that you know 20s mm -hmm. a lot of them have seen the effects in their parents of of the drug addiction and a lot of them by the grace of god have turned away from it like my daughter um for years i was so paranoid that she was going to be a junkie like us mm. and really what it did for her was gave her like the opposite like oh, i'm good. never going to be like my parents i will not i will not amazing that has to be um, a humbling thing though to know that like you are the cautionary tale for your kids which i guess can be a you know uh, that can be a good thing obviously but it is it is but know, it's also kind of sucks <laughs> yeah well as a man i mean you know like i know what it's i know what it's like to be a man and like you want to especially like men have this thing inside them where they they want to be a protector yeah a provider and especially as a father and, yeah. and to know that you were the opposite of that has to be just in obviously the lord has redeemed that but yeah it's such a humbling thing it is and so. you know for a long time it was hard um, mm. It was something I struggled with, you know, I would a lot of shame and a lot of guilt sure. beating myself yeah. up after I got Absolutely. saved, like let my family down, yep. whatever, all mm. all that stuff that comes with it. But thank God our, our relationships are restored now mm. yeah. and I'm able to have those conversations. And, and, and I'm also grateful because I wouldn't change anything about my life because it brought me to Jesus. Amen. I mean, the road is crazy and as insane as it was and as painful and as dangerous as it was, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't gone through the things that I went through. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't share my testimony with the hopes of being like, oh, look at what I went through. Because like I told you when, when we met in person, <laughs> like we talked about this. If you hear my test, anybody who's listening right now, if you hear my testimony and you think, oh, man, I got it. I, I don't got it as bad as that guy. Then you don't know the gospel. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Our test. We're, we're on a level playing field. Mm -hmm. Mine might be crazy and I may have had some more insane things happen. But in the eyes of God, we're here. Mm -hmm. Jesus died for the same sin in you as he did in me. Mm -hmm. I don't like that comparison game we play in the church where we start yeah. saying like, oh, well, I'm not so bad because look at Dave and look at his testimony. At least I didn't go that far. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't well, matter. there was a, there was a couple of weeks ago, there was someone we were talking about testimonies and I kind of not, it wasn't a rebuke, but it was just calling people out. I just felt like there are people in the church that they look at their lives and they didn't sin. They, they didn't, they didn't veer away from the Lord. And they're yeah. like, I don't have a testimony because I don't, I wasn't like David and I didn't go do drugs and I didn't. Right. And it's just like, praise the Lord. You didn't. That's your testimony. Like right. you heeded 
the word of the Lord early. Amen. It, that's Amen. a testimony. That is a that testimony. That is a testimony. You right. know, and because I didn't, I I didn't, I I I didn't even like my friends were partying and there was something inside of me. It was just like, no, do not mm. do this. And I wasn't really Praise walking Lord. with the Lord at the time, but it was God. It was the whole it was it was because I had accepted the Lord at a young age mm. and then didn't follow God for you know basically the whole of my you know up until 18. Um yeah. and so yeah, but it was just the yeah, so I just think that it's like even that where it's like, cause I remember I fell into that trap, you know, when I first came to the Lord and I was like looking at other people that I knew and their, their testimonies were crazy testimonies, you know, yeah. got to do had to do radical things. And it's like, I was looking at like, Oh, I have no stripes to bear. I, I, I have no, you know, there's no testimony. What would I even say to people if I was yeah, trying right. to <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so dumb. See, what's yeah. funny is like people say that like they don't have that testimony, but literally when they say I don't have that testimony, they're engaging in the sin of comparison. There's mm. a testimony right there. Yeah. God delivered me from the need to justify myself based on the the issues of other people. Yeah. That, that in itself is a testimony because it takes a lot to be delivered from from comparison and gossip and shame mm-hmm. and all those other things that go along with when you're when you're comparing yourself to other people. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what, that. yeah. So what, what would, what is our response to this? If you've got a loved one, if you yourself or I found yourself in this position where maybe even today as you're going, Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. I have a problem. Uh, yeah. what, what is our response, David? So I think that the, the first response is always Jesus. It's, mm-hmm. it's Jesus. And, and to use Jesus' as example when engaging with these, with people or you're even yourself, um, I'm going to speak first to the prospective addict who is listening mm-hmm. to this right now. You're not alone. You are not a bad person. Mm-hmm. You're not evil. You're suffering. Then you need a savior. Mm-hmm. And that savior is Jesus and he will forgive you and he will wrap you up and he will deliver you. And he will set you on a pedestal and he will put you at his right hand and he will do all the amazing things that the word talks about. If you'll only submit, if you will say today is the day I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore. And if, if you with a sincere heart and sincere of spirit and you say to the Lord, I am done, he will make a way for you. Hmm. He will make a way for you. And if you're not ready, I'm praying right now. I'll let this go out and echo through time. I'm praying right now that you are ready. Mm. That this is the day. That this is the day of the Lord's salvation. This is the day that you say enough is enough. Submit That's to good. the Lord. And he will work out everything else. Mm. Oh, I got this and I got that and I got child support, whatever. doesn't matter. If you submit to the Lord, he will make a way for all of it. Mm. I promise you. He's done it for me. He's done it for my wife. He's done it for countless other people that we're connected to. All with similar backgrounds and situations and addictions. You're not alone. You're not a lost cause. That's a big one. Mm. You have intrinsic worth and value. You're valuable to God and you're valuable to the people around you that love you. Mm. You're valuable to your children. You're valuable to your spouse. You're not worthless because you're struggling. You're not unloved because you're struggling. God has not abandoned you. He says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even if you're in the worst of the worst right now, he's 
friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen. Amen. Uh, mm, yeah. And then to the families, to the Christian, you know, the people in the body around us that are that watch people either have a loved one or something like that. Um, grace goes a long way. Mm. Forgiveness goes a long way. Now, grace doesn't mean you have to allow yourself to be taken advantage of or stolen from or anything like that. Um, I am a firm believer in the idea of every sin has its own consequences. And sometimes the consequences of that sin are the sin itself. But sheltering people from consequences is actually a way to keep them stuck, Hmm. not to help them. You're not helping anyone by not pressing charges. You're not helping anyone by giving them money when they beg and plead. You're not helping it. Sometimes the best thing to do is to let go and let God. Mm. It's hard to do. It's very hard to do. I've had to do it myself. Yeah. I can't, I'm, and I sympathize. I'm, I, I know I've had to do it myself too. I know it's awful, yeah. awful. I've been on both sides of the fence and it's awful. Yeah. Um, and as awful as it is, we, we have to trust the Lord with those people that we're, we're letting go of. Not that we're letting go permanently, but we're let, we're, we're, it's a form of petitioning. You know, you're putting your petition before the Lord. Yeah. You're saying, I'm, I'm not going to agree with this thing that they're engaged in, but I am going to be there when, the, when you deliver this person. Mm-hmm. And for their own sake, and for my own sake, I have to let go. Um, the the idea of being like codependent, or or that's probably the best way to say it with someone who's addicted, is that it's putting you both in a in a in a cell, a prison cell of sin. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're allowing that person to basically be the lord of your life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Like it's that person controls the day in day outs, you know, it, rather than trusting the Lord with that person, you're saying, I don't trust the Lord with this person. I only trust me with this person. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Cause even it's ass. like that, that whole aspect of like, well, I don't want so-and-so to have a criminal record. I, so I'm going to try and buffer everything they do. And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, you can't, no. you can't do that. Like you I've can't. mentioned on the show before, there's a loved one that, we're going through a lot of this with right now. And there are people in my family who I've said that, like, we don't want them to have a criminal record. I'm like, you can only protect somebody so much from something before you're actually hurting them potentially be getting recovered, you know? Yeah. So that's true. Yeah. I mean, you're hundred percent. so right. hard to do, man. It so is. hard to like, let that stuff happen mm-hmm. um, and let go. I know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know it is. And yeah. I, I pray for you and I pray for your family yeah. and your guys' hearts. You know, that's the, yeah. the hardest thing in this conversation is what to do in the in-between, mm-hmm. right? Like we know what to do when someone's like dire addicted and we know what to do when someone is clean, but we have a hard time to do, you know, a hard time figuring out what to do on that in-between time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, the best thing I can say to that respect is community, community, community. Yeah. Community around you is a huge thing. And the other thing, too, is is that don't shelter your feelings. Don't hide that. There's no shame in being the, a family member of an addict. There's no shame in sharing your how you're feeling with other people. You know, these are things, you, just like I said to the addicts, you know, and same thing to the families. You don't have to go through this by yourself. Yeah. You know, especially to the mm-hmm. parents of addicts, I say this right now, it's not anything that you did wrong. Mm, that's good. You know, really you, good. you're not a bad 
especially if, if you're from a family where you feel like I raised my kids well, you know, I've, I've done everything I can for them. I've sacrificed for them. I've, I've, I've got a great job. My wife's a good, got a great job, whatever. And those families who still have addicted children, I say to those families specifically, you are not a bad parent. You're not a bad father. You're not a bad mother. Um, Addiction. Nobody knows exactly why, where it starts for every single person. It's different, Mm -hmm. but I can say that there's a lot of families out there that I know carry around a lot of guilt and shame about an addicted child or an addicted loved one. And they, 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 the devil uses that as a beating rod Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Well, if I had just done this different, if I had just done this better, if I had just done, or if I had just said, or if I didn't do this, then he'd be fine or she'd be fine. And it's Mm -hmm. not true. Yeah. It's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy to keep you tortured. So you're not being effective. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not effectively witnessing for the person or you're not effectively praying for the person because you're so wrapped up in your own stuff. You know, I I can be that way sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. yeah. It's a a hard conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure there'll be other, other opportunities to have offshoots of this conversation. I think it's a good one to keep, you know, intermittently on the forefront of people's minds um, just because there are a lot of people that have uh, addicts who are maybe they're former addicts and they're dealing with the 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 guilt post recovery, um, you know, or they're, a parent who's like, what did I do wrong? Like I did everything yeah. the Bible said. I, I was a great parent. I was loving, I was compassionate. Um, I you trained them up in the way they should go. And yeah. it says that they shouldn't depart from it, you know? Right. Um, you know, and so I think it's just really a really good conversation all around to hear that yeah. perspective from you who's been on both sides and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, um, with that in mind, man, we're out of time. I, it's a every episode i always want to, just want to keep talking uh yeah it's great uh but just go ahead and pray pray for yeah. people as you feel led um and just let spirit get, take control yeah. and all that good stuff mm. yeah so lord thank you thank you for the ability to to witness to people mm-hmm. who are either struggling with addiction themselves or to witness to families and and loved ones of those who are addicted lord we thank you for for freedom we thank you for salvation and the ability to to go back and to help to rescue those who are lost Mm. right now lord i pray for those who are currently in the bonds and the chains of addiction i pray lord that you would set them free Mm. i pray for clarity of mind for clarity of spirit and emotion. I pray that they would be sitting there right now, wherever they are, and they would start to feel that tug. They would start to hear that still small voice inside that's that's beckoning them to that freedom, to that place of freedom, to that place of rescue. Jesus, you are a rescuer, and you are on a mission to seek and save those who are lost. So right now we lift up in prayer those lost in addiction. Lord, forgive, forgive, forgive us for any way that we have minimized or or looked away or done anything that would take away the value of the person that you're seeking. Whereas if we in the church have, have turned a blind eye 
or we as a, in, in the family of God and in our own families have tried to turn a blind eye to, to what was going on. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for that. Mm. And Lord, we say yes to you. We say yes to the mission that you've placed us on. We say yes to the mission of reaching, helping to reach and seek and save those who are lost, Lord. We want to be able to introduce you to, to a dying world and to a dying population. So, Lord, help us to be the hands and the feet of your gospel and your grace and your love and your mercy to these people. Help us to be instruments in your hand. Jesus, we love you. We, we thank you. And we just say yes. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, heavy, heavy stuff, but good stuff. Heavy, um, but good stuff. Yeah, heavy, but good. Um, those, those are, those are bound to happen once in a blue moon. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, bro, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your it's such story. an honor, man. It's yeah. Honor. Yeah. It's just great. I'm just like both with your, your, te- you know, your testimony and Krista's there's just this like, Oh man, like God is so good, man. Yeah, like, he is. Like the, the, the redemption, the ability to, to cause someone to, to about face. And, and, yeah. and that only God can do that in an individual. And so mm. for those of you that feel stuck, whether it's, whether it's drugs, yeah. whether it's pornography, whether yeah. it's food, whether it's uh, whatever the case may be, um, even gossip, uh, yeah. like God is bigger than all of that. And mm. that he can, he can, he can, he can, he's the only one that can save you. And Amen. so, man, it's just, Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, our uh, illumination just said that both you and Krista both speak from a place of authority. And yeah. I think that that's something that's like, that's huge. So man, yes. Amen. Um, well, how can people follow you, bro? Um, you can search for me on Facebook. I'm David E. Shram. I'm actually getting ready to make a uh, public figure page. So oh I'll, uh, I'll send that information over to you guys when I get it made. Nice. Uh, this will be my name, but yeah. Um, just to separate my, my personal Facebook from my, well, and also you you have like a limit on how many friends you can get on a yeah. personal page too. So, yeah, I mean, I just kind of want to keep it separate. So yeah, I'm going to do a public figure page. Um, and then even on that public figure page, I'll start posting the things that, that we create, Krista and I create together with awesome. endeavors in the future that I do on my own. Awesome. So yeah, just search Facebook, David E. Shram. Yeah. When it's just like, man, like everybody just praise the Lord at like yes. what God has done in so David and Chris's lives and the, like what they're doing now with speak life and revival rooms and like all that. It's like, I mean, 10 years ago, you would have never thought, <laughs> never thought you'd be right here. You know what I mean? Like, no, never dude. No, it's unfathomable to think about yeah. the grace that we've experienced. It, like it, 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 mind-numbingly shocks me so much blessing too man like that that is just god that's what he does it's so good amazing so yes well everybody that was our show everybody god bless uh and we'll see you again next week all right see ya this has been elijah fire thanks for listening For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. 
Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Click the link in the description for more info on how you can donate today.